Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, a conversation where good thoughts help renew the mind with the Word of God. I'm Charlie Carter, and I'm here with Tim Little and Andy Stearns. Let's jump into the conversation. Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, unofficially brought to you by Brickhouse Coffee Company in Williamsburg, Iowa, and Porchlight Coffee House of Ankeny. Delicious. Welcome, gentlemen. Welcome, Charlie. Shalom. Welcome How art thou? <laughs> I'm well. Thou art well. <laughs> we just watched. We're working. Never mind. We have. It's good. No, 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 nope, no, no. Indulge. No. Indulge. No, no. Oh. I was just gonna say something about thou art, and I'm like, nah, I'll save it for later. We got, we got to, we got to pack. I enjoy so. rapturously off-topic comments. Yes, we know. I know you do. <laughs> Here's what's in this episode. Just say rapturously off topic. Yeah, you know, that, sprinkle give, some Latin in. I'm going to give you two light bulb emojis for that. That oh, was well, thank glorious. You. Okay, Tim hates this. So here's what we're going to do. We have some quick listener feedback referring to something from the previous episode. And then we're going to do that thing we always do. And then the main content of the episode is Andy talking about a recent post that he had made with some electronic ink. Yeah. I think there's another word for it. What's that other word? A blog. Oh yeah, there we go. Yeah, electronic ink. It's electronic, electronic ink is way yeah. better. It's it's much better. Yeah, that's because that's what it is. We want to <laughs> you know speak in reality. That's right. And uh, and that's the rest of the episode. So, without any other nonsense, Tim, let's do some listener feedback. <laughs> we received an email from Aaron Schneider, and uh, I'm not sure. Do either of you know Aaron? I, no. I don't think so. I, I would have to creep him on Facebook and maybe we've met or something and I don't know it. But I, I if we do, Aaron, I'm sorry that I, I've, I'll just, I'll go into my FBI mode here real quick. Yeah. So he, I'm just going to read. Horrendous. I'm going to read horrendous. it uh, as is here. But I can. There, there's, there's a lot here. There's a lot here. I'm going to just focus on the first part of it and we might come back to the other part another time. He says, I'll keep the opening brief. None of you know me, but we've crossed paths at Faith a few times. So I think we've maybe met. Awesome. Not sure. Oh, Trail Ridge Camp. Sure. So yeah, he might have been on campus last fall for the yeah, Camp Connect. the Camp Connect, yep. And uh, I sent this out oh. to the speakers we've had here at camp in the last couple years, but would also appreciate your input. So there's a, that, that's the, he, the main body of the email. He looks familiar. He said, I was typing up this email while listening to the latest episode. That'd be last week's episode. I about came unglued when <laughs> Thinkling Carter misquoted Dwight Schrute's song <laughs> relating to the 40 rules all Schrute boys must learn. It goes like this. Learn your rules. You'd better learn your rules. If you don't, you'll be eaten in your sleep. Parentheses. Insert chomping sound here. Now... <laughs> This is not an endorsement of any TV shows about no. working in uh, an office, so to speak. But uh, I will just say, Aaron, I was not misquoting. I was intentionally merging <laughs> that quote with the topic of Tim's former content. I knew exactly what I was doing. And I was hoping, I knew there was no hope that Tim would understand what I was doing. I was shame. hoping that Andy would pick up on it. But I think I just veiled it a little too much with like, what's that one theologian who says you have to learn your rules? And, uh, but yes, I, so no. I, even, I will, even if you had been a direct quote, I would have been like, I yeah. don't even remember that. And that's and as clear as I can make it. I will say that the moment you utter something like this, 
you you will fall. But <laughs> I never misquote the office. That's that's true. I would say <laughs> bold that. statement. Bold statement. Just like you never. Well, anyway, no, that's not a question of whether we should or we should not quote the office because we probably should not. But um, anyway, <laughs> if I was, I don't think I so, would. So so I guess we have to find out then in a future email if this will absolve you of your your faux pas according to Aaron. So we Aaron, might you'll have, have to let us know if this is a good We enough. might have to just, you know, put an <laughs> apology video out there because if you let the media write the story, that's oh a problem. That's true. You got to get in front of the media. You got to give them the story, right Aaron? <clears throat> you with me? Okay. So, that's listener feedback. <laughs> and so, on to the thing we always do, books and business. Let's talk about some books. He had some other good stuff in that email it, too. Well, yes, and which I said, we'll come back to it another okay. time. All right. Do you even listen to the words that come out of my mouth, Tim? (laughs) So uh, I decided to pick, so I was talking to a friend and I picked up a book I'd read before, but it's been a while. It's called This Momentary Marriage by John Piper. And the subtitle is A Parable of Permanence. And so it's interesting. So I'm a widower and I'm not married anymore. And so part of what he's going to go through in that book is he's going to explain that marriage is a temporary thing in people's lives. And it sounded like maybe it's going to land somewhere where Tim, you had that book on singleness yeah. and the last chapter was like, Hey, this is going to be our eternal state anyways. Mm-hmm. So I thought, Oh, that sounds like something good to read. It's been a while. I've had one shot at it. So this is like my double shot at the same book and, uh, it's good so far, but I have some thoughts. Remember like a year and a half ago, I was reading this, uh, the meaning of marriage by Tim Keller. I really liked that. And I'm going to give you the same caveat I did back then when Keller's good, he's good. But when he's off, he's totally wonky. And I wouldn't recommend him. But this book was actually really good and very thought out. Gave me a lot to think about. He had thought about issues and he'd gone down logical steps to think about like how they, what their implications are. So I haven't read a Piper book in a long time. And it's like, a, it's like, oh yeah, this is how Piper writes. I forgot about this. He's, he's very, like I think we said earlier, emotional. I don't know. Is there a better word for that? It's like emotive or expressive or... With you the, can see him talking with his hands, with preaching with his hands. Our modern understanding of the word, which is positive, I would say passionate. Passionate, yeah. Okay, taking the yes. Thank you for clarifying that. Yes, yeah. fervent. That word. <laughs> fervent. Fervent. Yeah. <clears throat> Convinced. Uh, resolved. Um, Persuasive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Resolved. Yeah. It's not bad. So, listener, don't think this is bad. But one thing I remember taking away from this book uh, 15 years ago when I read it was he he really. He was the first person, it's not true, I probably heard it in class many times and it didn't sink in, but he was the first person to really make the case and convince me that the point of marriage is to be a picture of Christ and the church, and that sort of reshaped how I thought about marriage. And I'm, so I'm just at that part and I'm remembering those things, I'm like, oh man, that's really good. So from that point on, I started to try to think like, as a husband at the time, how am I supposed to love my wife. And it was more like, how does Christ love the church? And that, and that thought had been not in my thinking. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate that part of the book. I would say that this would be a great introductory book to go through with someone on the topic. Like I think that would fit, but it's, it's not the same as the meaning of marriage. I'm not done. No rating, but that's what I'm reading. Pretty interesting. It's funny when you've, you know, you read stuff in the past by a guy, it's been a while and then you read him again and you can see Oh, I'm not, I don't think the way I used to and the things that I used to value and be gravitating towards, it's not quite the same. And, and I, I like this book, but there's a little bit lacking that's, that I'm not as 
it's not as appealing. Go ahead. So with you mentioning Piper's book, it reminds me of just that article that I wrote about kicking Freud out of the church. And, and it's just like that idea is just kind of ruminating. It could almost become a book. I think it would be a really good book, Tim. So anyway, it's just something to add to that conversation. Yep. And this, again, listener, this is not bad. I can just Mm -hmm. tell that where, where I'm at, what I'm thinking. It's it's a different. I'm taking away different things on it. So, but it'd be it'd be, I'd say so far recommendable. Yeah, and I mean, he talks quite a bit about nakedness because he's going through like the Garden of Eden thing. Uh-huh. And I'm like, why are we talking about shame and nakedness? But actually, then he actually had some really interesting stuff about clothing. And so there's like little side things where I'm like, okay, Piper, that was a good observation. Oh, that's mm-hmm. kind of interesting. But. So this has nothing to do with what I'm going to say. <laughs> but what? you mentioned a comment about <clears throat> you know the our eternal state. You yes. know, and yeah. I, I hadn't caught it previously in Paralandra, but when he gets home and they're just like kind of batting around and he's like talking about, before he gets to like the story of mm-hmm. what happened, and th- so this would be book two of the Ransom Trilogy. Yes, of he, course. We have to bring the Paralandra and the Ransom Trilogy into well, the conversation. There's this, there's, I just got to jibe you. <laughs> you love this book. You love this book. This is, he, yeah, this is your fave. <laughs> he, he gets to this point where he mentions that they're- their skeptic friend is like raising some argument about, um, I don't even remember the exact context, but he comes up with this like, well, no, no, it's like, he uses the term transsexual and he's like, but he gets to this idea that like, you know, someday we're all going to be in heaven. It's not as if we don't have, you know, our, our bodies, you know, like angels don't propagate type of Mm -hmm. an idea. And he's like, so like you can have the ability without the desire and he's he's going to his experience in this Edenic state, right? Yeah, where that they don't so, have clothes, yeah. and they all have the yes. same bodies, mm-hmm. and it's not an issue. That was yeah. like one of the most cool parts of that book. Mm-hmm. That was a good connection to the conversation. Yeah, and, it, and it's it's just <gasps> what? <laughs> What's the opposite of an eye roll? Well, the opposite of a horrendous, and he said this before is stupendous. Yes. Stupen- he just doesn't drop those up as often on yes. us. <laughs> There's a reason. So and and. <laughs> oh, I, I listen I listen to pretty much the Ransom trilogy on repeat because I just put it on when I go to bed. That's such and a I, good way I, to go to bed. I never <laughs> it puts you to sleep. I don't I don't make it very Watch far. It. But I do slowly grab things that I don't think I caught before. Anyway, so what I've actually finished reading is The Intellectual Life by A.G. Sertayange. Yeah. I mentioned, I think last week or somewhere, I think I'm like 80% done with like 10 books. Well, now I'm 100% done with one of those books. And <laughs> well done. Well and done. so we will come back to it at another point. I, I think his thoughts on how to read, he has rules for reading, which he gets to very end of the book. And I think those are probably the, the hidden gem of the book. There's a lot of other good, stimulating, helpful things, but that's really, I think the key is those rules for reading. So we'll come back to it. But it's actually has a lot to do with what you just said, where sometimes you have formative reading where you go to it and you're trying to be changed by it, or you're going to it to get something from it. Like you're writing a paper where you're talking about, you know, with Keller, you're not sure if that should be someone that you just listen to without reservation. So like you have to be careful about who you let be your former. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that yep. and that's in the sense of good books. Like, why is a good book valuable? Because like there should be books that are forming you. And there should be other books that you don't let form you. And and so I thought that was a big takeaway. 
And he uses this illustration of water. He, he uses it very passingly, but I kind of built it out a little bit. And so we'll talk about that in a future episode, but finished it. I believe we've ranked it before. Um, yeah, I can't remember. I think it's like a six or a seven. I actually think I would lower it. I, I think for us, like very often in intellectual matters where we're trying to read, we're trying to write, I think it is worthy of like a yearly perusal. Uh, for the yeah. average churchgoer, I'm not sure if it's like you need to own it. You need, I think it's worthy of their time. So maybe like a five, but I don't think it's a, you need to read this every year for everybody. But his rules for reading, I think are worth everybody's consideration because I think those are really practically helpful for everyone. And so, yeah, I think I, I'm not sure if we can amend the goodness scale. It is very good, but it is kind of a niche thing. But. No, I was, that was the word I was going to use. I do think that's niche. And so it's not everyone's cup of tea. Speaking of not everyone's cup of tea, what book do you have for us today, Tim? Rediscovering Eve, Ancient Israelite oh. Woman in Context <laughs> Sorry, by that, Carol Myers. That was just a joke. It's uh, horrendous. This is like Shack Stack material, but Ooh. in the opposite Maybe of not Carter, uh, <laughs> I basically picked up this book because in chapter five, she has Eve out of Eden, Genesis 3.16, and she was going to make some statements that were going to help me with my research paper. So while sometimes you get a book because you want to read the entire thing and it's helpful for you, sometimes you're reading a book simply because you need a specific author's view of a specific issue or topic or um, text. So I read 10 pages of this book and I am done. 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 Exactly. <laughs> and that is what Sir Teange would call accidental reading. You're reading it to produce something. You're not reading to be formed. Yep. You're not reading for fun. You're not reading for edification. In fact, I knew she was going to say the wrong view. And so to, to write okay. a paper and present the right view, you want to interact with the wrong view and explain why it's wrong. Hence, Carol Myers, Rediscovering Eve, Ancient Israelite Woman in Context. So the other book I want to just kind of highlight too, I talked about uh, Korah's Rebellion, and I worked through a lot of numbers commentaries. So if you are looking at doing a study in numbers, uh, R.K. Harrison, his commentary on numbers would be a good one. Probably my favorite was by Cole, not not Alan Cole, the professor here, but uh, in the New American Commentary series, uh, the Numbers Commentary. I think that would have been my favorite commentary. There's a couple of new ones that I didn't get a chance to really get into. Um, Baker Academic came out with uh, a Numbers Commentary, and then Kriegel came out with a new one as well. But uh, those two were my favorites, and so I wanted to throw that into this Books and Business as well. I'm done. Sure. So... I will just give a plug. So commentaries are such a unique book that you don't need them for most of the time. But then when you need them, you really need them. You know, yeah. if that makes sense. Yes. Like that's a, a good commentary. And, and so I've recently been studying in Hebrews and, you know, these are books. I, what I used to do, I haven't stuck to this tradition and I really wish I had. I used to keep the receipt from the bookstore and that would be my bookmark. Yeah, I've done that. And it's so cool to go back and be like, oh, you bought this book and yeah. on this day and da-da-da, <clears throat> you can see like if Tim was the one that checked it out for me or for someone else. And uh, But anyway, th these Hebrews commentaries I purchased like eight years ago. And you're, you're purchasing them because they're, you know, air quotes, required reading. And you're like, man, you know, is this worth my time? 
And yes, like having good commentaries, they, they've sat on my shelf for eight years and I don't think I've touched them. But then you come to this very specific study and you're like, I need to wow. read on this specific thing. And here they are. Here are the guys that you have in your armory for that purpose. And so uh, knowing good commentaries to go to is really, really helpful. So I forgot one, Ashley, in the New American, uh, New International Commentary of the Old Testament. That one, I, I forgot it. It's one of the best ones. There are three, Harrison, Cole, and then Ashley. So uh, those three were like my favorites. And to your point, I was doing some work on in Matthew 19. Mm -hmm. And what did I need to do? Commentary. I, I was like, okay, I think I understand what this text is saying. Now, does, is there anybody that's going to back me up? Or am I on my own out there in right field? So Yes. So Andy, why don't you give us a quick little preview of what's sure. coming here, and then we'll get to our main content. So the Hebrews commentary is actually going to dovetail nicely. Um, so in processing and writing and thinking about my life, <clears throat> I put up a post a while back called The Cloud and the Crowd. And so if you go into Hebrews 11, there's the classic cloud of witnesses that we talk about who have gone before us and they've not received what has been promised, but they have faith in God. And so it's like a, 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 th a reason for us to have faith. And I thought, oh yeah, that's like the cloud of witnesses. And so it's all these greats in scripture, you know, Moses and Abraham and all them. But as I was processing all of 2023, there were other people that weren't written in the Bible who were in my life that were doing just the same work. And I was trying to think of how to like point those out. And so that's the qui quippy title. You have the cloud of witnesses, and then I'm calling them the crowd who are like here on earth with you. And I thought it was a, a cute title, but it's meant to, it's meant to get you to think about who do you have in your life right now? Who's walking by faith and is an example to you. And maybe even someone who's trying to get into your life and you need to like open up and let them get into your life. And so it's just an extended meditation on that. And we have, I think a really good discussion and yeah, that's, that's a preview for you. So I hope you enjoy it. Whoosh. Let's have a conversation about trusting God and anchors for your soul. Um, so I have been trying to think through, um, walking through this widower life and walking through suffering and sorrow. And so a lot of what my thinking has been in has been these topics. And so today I just want to walk through the content of what would have been a blog post a couple of weeks ago. Hebrews 11 was a, a, a passage that helped me to think through, if you're, if you're going through a trial, what do you anchor yourself to? Okay. So what do you, what do you anchor yourself and your soul specifically to as you walk through a trial? And so as I was thinking, I thought about the cloud of witnesses in Hebrews 11. And I think I wouldn't, I don't think I've ever gone here before when it comes to suffering or encouragement, but I think there is actually a really good uh, application and truth here. That's a theological anchor. If you're going through suffering or life is hard or you have sorrow, this passage is actually really good for you. But as I was reflecting on my whole life, I think this cloud of witnesses in this passage is an anchor. But there's also a, I'm going to call them a crowd of witnesses. And we'll talk about that at the end. So we're going to start in Hebrews 11. And I'm going to loosely read through the text. Um, you guys, do you know the name that people give to this chapter? It's kind of a famous name. 
It's like the hall of faith. Hall of faith. Yeah. Thank you. The hall of faith. And so usually <clears throat> Hebrews 11 is an example or a, a long string of examples of people who trusted God in the midst of difficulty and God took care of them. So we're just going to go ahead and start chapter 11, verse one. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen for by it, people of old receive their commendation. The, the text is going to go on now to give examples of faith. What does it look like to have faith in God? I like the word trust the best when I think of faith. That helps me to understand it. If I'm having faith in God, I'm trusting him. So listener, before we go through this passage, consider where in your life you have to trust God. So for, for parents, the first thing I think of is you have to trust God in carrying out your raising of your children. And sometimes that trust in God looks like I'm scared, but I'm going to try and I'm going to try to follow the Lord. That's what trust could look like. Another way trust, I would say, is seen is when you follow God's advice, not the world's advice. That's another way I would say you're, you're trusting God. Well, uh, consider all your, maybe your job. Maybe you it's just been a rough year and you're trying to make ends meet and you're not sure what to do. There could be trust issues there. Or maybe you've gone through some tragedy. You've lost a spouse, a child, a loved one. Maybe just life is hard right now and you're just not sure should you keep walking with the Lord. All of those would be a legitimate trust examples. The ones in the text are sometimes a bit bigger and a bit smaller. But I think just like in James, any trial that causes you to question your trust in God and grows your faith, it could be anything that's a test of faith. So let's go ahead and start in verse three. Again, not going to read it all, but I want to point out different people who are in the text. Verse three, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what was seen was not made out of things that are visible. Right at the outset of the passage, he's actually given an example of all of us. How do we know that God created everything? It is not primarily through scientific evidence. And I think that's a big watershed. Um, I'm not saying it is against scientific evidence. I think God, he made reality. It's real. But by right off the bat, it's, it's trusting God in what he said. Verse four, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith he died, and he still speaks. Uh, Tim, I don't want to put you on the spot, but do you want to comment a little on the nature of that story, and what, what, what was his faith looking like compared to Cain in that passage off the top of your head. Do you think you could do that for us? Well, the, the text in Genesis doesn't highlight faith specifically, uh, but he gave a more excellent uh, sacrifice than Cain, meaning what he offered to God was the best. So why would you incinerate or burn up or consume something that you that you would rather consume yourself because it's the best. Well, because there's a, an act of faith that God is going to provide more in return um, and take care of you regardless of what you give to him and incinerate. So like 
Cain offers something inferior because it's like, eh, well, it's not that great. Whereas Abel offers what's the best because he knows that God is going to provide for him. Perfect. That, that was perfect. Thank you for that summary. So Abel is an example here <clears throat> of someone who offers uh, something in faith to God. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. This is verse 5. And he wasn't found because God took him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Verse 6 says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now I'm going to remind you of that in a little bit when we get to the end of this passage. As we go through, at this point I think I'm going to pick it up a little, we now get more examples. And so we have the example of Noah. Now think about Noah. God tells him to build this boat. And he's doing this for years. There is no like ocean nearby. You would have to really trust God to do that. You really would. Think of Abraham. I mean, he was super old. He was told he'd have a kid. He goes about the wrong way. And God actually finally blesses him. Think about Sarah. I mean, she obviously didn't think she could have kids. It goes on to talk about Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. So a lot of the big names. And then Moses. And it shows how he followed the Lord and he had faith in God. I like verse 31 because it brings in Rahab. Here's this prostitute, this wicked woman, but she trusted the Lord. And because she trusted the Lord, she was rewarded. And then the author says the time would fail to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms and forced justice, obtained promises, and stopped the mouths of lions. It goes on to talk about all the things that they went through. What is interesting is verse 39 says this, and this might be worth discussion. It says, all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So in what way did these people not receive their promises? I think that was the question, because it did seem like some of them received promises. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, like specifically with Abraham, he dies, and the only portion of the land that he owns is the little lot yeah. yep. where he buried his <laughs> wife. Okay, so that's all that he actually owned. So in other words, he didn't receive the fulfillment of the promise. He had to just believe that God would do what God promised he would do uh, outside of his lifetime. Uh, and so that's actually the way that faith works, even in all of these individuals' lives, even if they received a little bit of it. Mm -hmm. yep. So for like example, a down payment or something. A down payment yep. or something. Okay, Gideon, Barak, you know, they win the battle, uh, uh, whatever. That's still just a portion of it because the heavenly city, the eternal city that they're looking forward to has not actually come to fruition. They're still living in faith that one day God will come to earth and God will rule and reign on earth. And then that fulfillment of the hope that they have, the promise, will be then fulfilled. Then their faith will be sight. And as we looked at a few weeks ago, maybe a month or so around Christmas, the writer, author of Hebrews, has already commented on this fact that they were promised a ruler, 2 Samuel 7, who'd be after the line of David, and he's going to come and rule on Israel, for Israel, on earth, 
and that full land, that kingdom. Uh, we have not seen all things subjected to the Savior on this earth. And so that is still coming. And so they, they got a taste of it. They knew that that full kingdom would be coming. But, you know, and they know Jesus, we know Jesus is that guy. But we haven't seen all things put under his feet yet on this earth. Yes, exactly. So I, I think the question that comes to my mind, and so I have a, a, a post on my blog or my website about this um but i'm just going to read part of it wait you have a you have a blog <laughs> yes i do andy stearns.net <laughs> andy stearns.net did you know about andy stearns.net tim yes charlie that, i did very good <laughs> what's it called again andy stearns.net thank you i just wanted you to say it that, anyway i could go to andy stearns.net and read about this yes so oh. a, a couple weeks ago i posted the, an article uh, about the two uh anchors for the soul. One is the cloud of witnesses and one is the crowd I'm going to talk about. So I'm, I'm sort of going through this here, but in it, I have this question. What is the point of God promising his people something, but then not delivering what he promised? Why would he do that? Like, what is the purpose of that? That, that sounds like I made you a promise and I didn't keep it. Mm. Why would he allow that to happen? Do you guys have any thoughts on that? I have a thought, but I thought I'd check with you first. And just to, to clarify, you're saying why he wouldn't fulfill it directly to them in their own life? Yeah, I, I may have worded that badly on purpose, but you caught the, the bad the wording. Cap, like, why would he <laughs> why appear would he... to not <laughs> Yeah, there we go, there we go. <laughs> as if he wouldn't fulfill it at some yeah. point. Mm-hmm. But I'll just, I'm going to throw trust into the ring there. Ooh, that's really good. So we see a, a tension within the Christian life in that, well, why does Abel offer up a sacrifice of something that he cherishes and desires and loves, and he gives it back to God in, in a sacrifice? Well, he does it because he believes. He believes mm-hmm. in God's provision. He believes that God is what's the most important, his love for God supersedes all of his other loves. So throughout the Christian life, this is what we do. We do acts of faith, and we receive the provision, and the, uh, the faith becomes sight on a semi-regular basis. We see that even in the text in Hebrews 11.29, Hebrews 11.29, by faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. So this is a specific historical instance where the children of Israel, uh, they had to believe, God, you said that you would deliver us from Egypt. Well, how in the world is God going to do this? We're pinned in. This is impossible. I'm going to believe God's Mm going to provide a way somehow. I don't know what it's going to be, but God will fulfill his promise. And then boom, God does it. And God does like these little things like this where the faith becomes sight to encourage us Mm -hmm. in our current walk of faith in this life. But it's never like completed. It's never like perfected until the end. Yep. So you have that one with Egypt, and you also have right next to it, 1130, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. It's like, how are we going to conquer this city? It's absolutely impossible. (laughs) Nothing's impossible with God. Well, great. Well, 
That's nice. It's not impossible with God, but how is this going to happen? I have no idea, but let's go march around the city, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Because I believe. It's like, what are we believing in? We believe in God, you know? Mm -hmm. And so then what does God do? Boom. The walls fall down. They believe. And so then that provides a pattern for us in this life as we live. I believe. Help my own belief. I believe. And I grow. And I grow. And I believe. And I believe. God provides, God protects, and then God delivers. And the ultimate deliverance would be the deliverance from death. I don't know. Those are my thoughts. No, that's perfect. That's perfect. So my thought was very similar and it, it really comes down to trust. So all of these have now received the promise because they've died and they're now with the Lord. And so I think that's the big thing is sometimes when we look at what God promises and we don't see him doing it, we immediately come to a moral judgment of God. And so I think part of the big issue here is that these are examples of people who trusted God's goodness so much that they would trust him until the very end. And I'm, I'm kind of, I'm really thankful actually that God promised these men things, promises, and didn't deliver in their lifetime. And I could see the example of them continuing to trust God until the end. I really think that's the, one of the biggest lessons, especially if you walk a path of suffering. Th- this is huge. It's, it's hard when life's hard not to want to accuse God. And it's hard to catch yourself when you're accusing God, you don't always feel like you're accusing God. But I think here we're seeing that part of this is like, it's like Job. And that's the comparison I would make in the book of Job. I don't think the test has anything to do with Job. I don't think Satan gives two, two hoots about Job. It's not like, Oh, I'm going to go knock this guy down. Hoot. Hoot. <laughs> Thank you. He Dude. didn't, yeah, he didn't give either of those <clears throat> or more. Horrendous. But I think, <laughs> I think what Satan really cares about is he's, it's a character assassination of God. Uh-huh. So here's Job and he's saying, God, people only worship you because you bribe them. Job worships you because you've given him all the success, take away the success and he'll stop worshiping you. And it's not anything to do with Job. It's, it's Satan saying, you stink, God, you have to pay people to worship you. And when he pulls all that out and Job still worships, he's like, well, it's because you gave him health. Take the health away. And then he really wouldn't worship you. And when Job still trusts God, albeit he has questions, but when he still trusts God, it's like destroys Satan's argument. So I was thinking about this in the context of suffering. And it occurred to me that an anchor for your soul as you walk a difficult path is to look to these examples of faith. Mm -hmm. These people who trusted God when they did not yet receive the promise. And the only reason they could do that is because they truly believed God was good. Mm -hmm. And so I think that is the first anchor that I was just thinking through. But then as I look at my life, I'm going (laughs) to, this is quippy, but there's the cloud of witnesses. And now I'm going to say there is the crowd of witnesses. And so the difference between the cloud and the crowd that I'm going to make is artificial. 
but it's that the crowd is still alive. <laughs> it's the people that are in your day-to-day life. And so this is where I would see Second uh, Corinthians 1, God comforts us so we can comfort others. And so as I'm walking this path, other people have ministered to me. And so in this little essay, I think it's worth thinking about what your crowd is like. Okay, so who is your crowd? So and I think, Charlie, you could probably think back to when you lost your dad, maybe. And you might have some examples here, and I'd be happy if you want to bring those up. If you don't, no big deal. But um, so I'm looking at my life, and the crowd are like people who right now are walking consistently in the fear of the Lord, believing in the goodness of God right in front of me so I can see it. So what scripture is saying in Hebrews 11 is look at these people in the past who have trusted the Lord and let them be an example of faith to you. But if you think about that by extension, there's probably people right now in your life that God's allowing you to see. All right, so who are these people for me? Well, two of them are at the table right now. Like, honestly, you two. Like, I walked this path, you were checking in on me, you were texting me, you were each in your own way ministering to me. Now, you weren't suffering specifically, Mm -hmm. but you loved me and you sacrificed for me. And I think that's because you trust God, not just because you're trying to win brownie points with me. Um, I'm thinking of former students. I think of one in particular. And you know who we're talking about here, who she had a rough life and then comes through it, trusting the Lord in college. And then three days after she gets married, her husband dies. And so I think of her and what has she done since that time? She, if you, if you follow her on social media or just know her, she walked humbly with the Lord and trusted him. And now she's engaged to a really godly guy. And she would still to this day tell you that God is good, even though she's gone through such hardship. That's a legitimate example right here in my life. Um, I think of, you know, friend of the podcast, Tim Challies. He's been very open with his life and the hardship he's gone through losing his son, Nick. And That has been something that helped Robin and I before we even knew the path we would walk on. His book, Seasons of Sorrow, we got to talk about that, was a a blessing to me. And now I'm working through it again. Uh, There's a widower um, who I only know through a la carte. And I've gotten on his blog, and it's been an encouragement to me as he's talked about the difficulties of trying to put his daughter's hair in a ponytail, like little things that I'm walking through. But never once has he raged. And I've never seen that. Maybe he has. And he's constantly posting stuff about trusting God and how hard it is. So on top of that, though, my entire church family bent over backwards to help my family. It's very sacrificially. Why would they do that? Again, I don't think they're just trying to get brownie points. I think this is an evidence of their love of God their fear of the Lord and their trust in the goodness of God. And it's being played out in an active way of serving sacrificially another believer. So those are like, I would say those are like, I'm gonna call them the crowd of witnesses. They're like right here, right now. Hmm. Yeah. So I won't go into too much detail for anonymity's sake, but um, at the time when my father passed away, there was, I was, I was a pastor, uh, and, uh, I can, my mind goes to a handful of people in, in that crowd in, uh, at harvest. And uh, a couple of them really stick out to me where 
nothing, nothing different where mm-hmm. there's a, a death of a loved one, there's sin that happens. And uh, just a phrase from Tim's book is, you know, you can honor the Lord and uh, you can marry someone that you think is godly and great, but you're not guaranteed that. And, you know, they, your spouse could walk away from the Lord yeah. and you find out about it and it just devastates that family. And watching that happen, mm. and then watching the family members of that, uh, w- watching a dad uh, watch mm. his child go through that, mm-hmm. and uh, obviously the child who's has a, an issue in the home that's a suffering for them, but then to watch that father, mom, and dad watch their child have to walk that road of of mm. sin and divorce and. Uh, and that those, and I was watching that yeah. and uh, that, yep. that's what popped into my mind right away. And just to see their faithfulness to present themselves to the Lord mm-hmm. as a, as a, to not use their mouth, their hands as instruments of unrighteousness, but to, to be serving mm. the Lord and be faithful. That's what I thought of. And I think what I would say is listener, you probably, you probably have a crowd. And you want to make sure you're looking at the right crowd. Does that make sense? So if you have surrounded yourself with friends who don't fear the Lord and aren't walking with the Lord, when suffering comes, there's going to be one response that's going to be cultivated in your soul as you watch them and how they live. But having godly people all around you and looking to their example, is re- it really is nourishing. And I really think that the big issue here is that when you see someone walking with the Lord in the midst of hardship, it's an example of someone who believes God truly is good. So like, I'm going to go to that example you just gave, Charlie, because it's, it's very different than the one I've been using. It's the same, but it's not a death. There could have been bitterness to the Lord that he would allow that to happen. There could have been judgment that God had done wrong to their family by not taking care of this ahead of time. There could have been all kinds of accusations leveled against God, but it sounds like from what you're saying, you didn't see any of that. And at least in the long run. I mean, I think as Uh, a pastor, I think I was uniquely close to a scenario. And so I'm not going to say I didn't see it because what I saw was a hundred percent the desire to do that. Yeah. But then the, Resolve the trust yes. to not do Sorry. that. That's what I should say is yeah. those things, because I've had those questions like, God, why are you letting this happen? But where does it land? I think that's the big yeah. thing. And that's where the book, um, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, has a really cool pattern of lament where you don't call sin good and you talk about how bad it is. But where you land is really important. So, so I would say that the crowd is very helpful. Um, and so I think this is maybe where I'll end with the we have a final thought from God's word right now? Can we just go ahead and do that? So to tie all this together, and then it's going to be a final thought, but then if you guys want to add thoughts, let me know. As I looked through the people, one more I I need to mention, uh, Robin died, and the very next day, my buddy from out of state just shows up at my house. Like, didn't ask, didn't call, he just showed up. I think you had that similar experience, didn't you? I did, and... But uh, yours was a big drive. Paul... Uh, yeah, yep. Paul from New York, New York drove out and yep. was there. I don't remember exactly what day he arrived. It wasn't like the next day, but 
he came out for the funeral, the visitation mm-hmm. and was, was there. And that was a huge, yep. yeah. Yeah. And my buddy, I mean, he's from uh, Minnesota, but I mean, he was here the next day and then all through first cancer and second cancer, they just drop stuff off and they're like four hours away. So I just want to say that cause I, I want to say that that's another example of people who love God, love you and trust in him. So, but here's the thing is I look at, I, tr- I purposely picked a wide variety of people in my crowd. Okay. Cause your crowd influences you and sometimes you're friends with them. Okay. And sometimes you know them only through your suffering and they're, they're more distant. I don't think aside from maybe one, well, a few, most of the people in my crowd, the, the things that they were doing that were examples of trusting God's goodness. I don't think they actively were setting out to do that for me to influence me. What I'm trying to say is they were just fearing the Lord and walking with him. So listener, what I want to present to you is this thought. You walking in the fear of the Lord, when you don't know who sees or who's watching, is still very important. Number one, because you need to live to please the Lord, even if no one ever sees or nothing ever happens. But you never know who's watching. You never know the influence you're having or the way God's using your life. What I do know is that if you walk in the fear of the Lord and you live a godly life, God can use your life. That is a useful life to the Lord. And I've seen this in my own life, and I've been very thankful for believers who don't know me, don't know what's going on, and aren't targeting me with their actions. But by living a godly life in view of my, my own life, I have been encouraged and strengthened as I've had to walk a difficult path. So my encouragement to you would be to walk with the Lord because you don't know what God will do with that, but primarily because it honors him. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Thinklings podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or potential topics that you'd like us to discuss, you can contact us through our email, thinklingspodcast at gmail.com. Remember, don't let this conversation end with this podcast. Read good books, talk about them with your friends, and always continue to cultivate your mind. See you next time on the Thinklings podcast.